When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Kennedy Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Allison, and today is going to be exciting. Actually, the next few weeks are going to be exciting because I was technically in my own schedule going to do two episodes and then take two weeks off because I'm going on vacation. I just wanted a little bit of a summer break. But instead, I have decided to do a little kind of series on PT-109. I called my friend Ryan because I wanted him on it. You guys love to hear from him and I wanted him to be a part of this very special story and this incredible moment in JFK's legacy that just continues to inspire and live on. And like I said, we were going to do two episodes, but we talked about it and we're like, there is so much ground to cover in this. And I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to give the full scope. I didn't want to just share kind of surface level of this story. I wanted it to to go deep. And if you're a Kennedy fan, then you obviously care to listen <laughs> to this huge part of JFK's story, like I said. So anyway, it's going to be four weeks. And I know that might sound like a lot right now, but we break it down. We go through kind of a little bit before some backstory. Then we just kind of take it through. It's going to be same format, about 15 to 20 minutes-ish per episode. And that will span most of May and I think first week of June. So make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss when the episodes drop week to week. And I guess that's that's all I got for you. So <laughs> I hope you enjoy. Here is part one. And here I am with Ryan Pryor. Welcome back once again. Hello. Hello. Excuse me while I just hold on. There it is. Some ASMR Today, for everybody. That's I hate those videos. Me too. They're so disgusting. Much. Today we're having the dog days. What is that? Watermelon lemonade shandy. That sounds incredible. From Crosstown Brewing Company, which is the building that I work in, has a brewery in it. And if you guys are interested in some excellent excellent beer crosstown brewing company memphis tennessee there it is i love it i'm having a Michelob ultra light beer so you win did you get that from the golf course i didn't surprisingly okay. um well we are here for a very exciting few weeks and we had set out to do kind of just a couple weeks of this and then i was just talking to prior before we started recording and this needs more depth than just two weeks, doesn't it, Ryan? Oh, it needs a lot. It needs... Listen, we're talking about boats. Uh-huh. Boats float on the ocean. They do. The ocean is deep, and this story is deep. Wow. That was reaching a little bit, but yes, accurate. So You didn't think that analogy was good? I thought it was great. It was just reaching. Okay. No, it's fine. So we are going to talk about PT-109, but not for one, not for two, not for three, for four weeks. So you may be thinking, wow, that's a long time to talk about one thing. But if you have not studied this story in depth or you have not really read more than just the Wikipedia article about it, you're going to want to listen. Like you're going to want to listen anyway, because we're going to really go into before the actual attack happened and set it all up and everything. And when I say we, I kind of mean Ryan and I'll add input every once in a while. So just uh, buckle up, boys and girls. Here we go. Buckle up. Here we go. As everything, I uh, 
I, I usually tell Allison before I come on, I say, listen, I'm not going to do this unless you let me give some background, some context, because I won't teach history without context. As, we all, as we've talked about over the last year several times, I think a lot of our modern problems come from people studying who study history without contextualizing history. And that's on both sides, by the way. Both sides of an issue will take a piece of something from history and they will just use it willy-nilly to give credence to their beliefs without even considering the context of the time period that they were in. It is a massive undertaking to, to study history, and so you have to have context. And that leads me to the prelude. Prelude. There was. <laughs> there was. So, okay, enough seriousness. That was my disclaimer, my historical I am a, they call it, whenever you get a master's degree in history, you, they say that you are a steward of the profession. That was my disclaimer for being a steward of the profession. There you go. Sounds fancy. You know, it's whatever. It is what it is. Uh, anyway, so PT 109, it is probably considered to be the most important and famous small naval craft battle in the history of warfare. One, because it featured our beloved president, John Francis Kennedy? Fitzgerald. Robert was Francis. Fitzgerald. You might want to cut that oh, well. out. Or you can keep Francis in. Uh, because it featured John Fitzgerald Kennedy, uh, but also because it is an incredibly interesting story. It is. It, I don't know what it is about history, but we tend to th things, interesting things tend to happen to interesting people. And so, like, this story and how this came about is perhaps, you know, an instance of a already interesting person having an incredibly interesting life along with it. And of course, it was a huge part of JFK's first congressional campaign, right? Him being a war hero and the, and the, the after the saga of PT-109 uh, is what helped him vault into uh, professional politics, which, by the way, and we're going to get into this, was all a part of Joe Kennedy's plan. All of this, by the way, mm -hmm. was orchestrated by Joe Kennedy from the very from the, his entrance into service into the the Navy in World War II, all the way to his presidential run. Joe Kennedy was grooming his son, and his son wanted to do this, but he was grooming his son to be the president of the United States at some point, or someone very powerful. So let's talk about it. To understand PT one hundred nine, the first thing is you need to understand what PT stands for, Allison. Do you know what PT stands for? Is it Patrol Torpedo? It is. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. All right. Nailed Ten it. points to, to Allison's house. <laughs> I think that's a Harry Potter reference. Um, yes. Patrol Torpedo Boats. And basically, I'll get into this in just a minute, but Patrol Torpedo Boats were these tiny little boats. Not tiny. They fit like 14 people. So it wasn't a small boat. Imagine a, a, a bigger pontoon boat. Okay for those of you who enjoy lake days, okay? Probably three or four times the size of a pontoon boat. Uh, big, not small, in, in, by our standards of what a small boat is, okay? But and, and it had two torpedo tubes or four torpedo tubes on either side, a torpedo being an underwater missile, basically. And uh, they were used often to sink larger ships. You, you probably know torpedoes specifically from submarines, right? Submarines use torpedoes to attack other vessels. Have you ever seen the hunt for Red October or uh, any number or even uh, any number of submarine movies, you would know what a torpedo is. And so these boats were literally just designed to have torpedoes on the side and shoot off. So that's PT-109. And so that's where we're at. 
These boats were used specifically, they were used all over the theater in World War II, but specifically in the war in the Pacific. And if you didn't know, of course, we were fighting the Japanese during this time period. Allison will at some point, I think, play a clip from a, a song by Jimmy Dean, who uh, you may know him from his famous sausages uh, and breakfast paraphernalia. But he got his start before the sausage business. Wait, is this the same in, guy for real? Yes. I thought you were joking before. Guy. No. Stop. PT-109. Yes. PT-109 is a song written by Jimmy Dean, wow. the Sausage King, who before he became the Sausage King was quite a famous country singer. The multi-talent is real. He was... A dynasty, honestly. We should do a whole podcast here. <laughs> I know, just I know, on I Jimmy know. Dean. You start your own podcast called The Dean yes. Dynasty. The Dean Dynasty. I dare you. I just want to talk about breakfast sausages and country music. The PT-109 was gone, but Kennedy and his crew lived on. Now, who could guess or who could possibly know that this same man named Kennedy would be the leader of the nation, be the one to take the man. The PT-109 was gone, the Kennedy lived to fight again. So the war in the Pacific, right? The United States enters the war in the Pacific in December of 1941, a day that will live in infamy, mm -hmm. the day that the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. This is not a World War II podcast, but you got to understand the significance of Pearl Harbor to understand why PT boats were important at all. Because the Japanese intended to do one thing and one thing alone when they attacked Pearl Harbor. They intended to cripple the United States Navy and prevent America from being able to mount an effective counterattack to what they wanted to do, which was to basically conquer all of the South Pacific, including American-held properties or provinces or islands like the Philippines. So they attacked Pearl Harbor. Luckily for the United States, most of our aircraft carriers were not stationed at Pearl Harbor at the time. Otherwise, it probably would have worked. But the Japanese did succeed in destroying a significant percentage of America's naval capabilities. And if you don't know, big boats take a long time to build. And the American war machine would, would take another two years, two full years, to get up and running in order to combat fully the Japanese threat in the Pacific. So these PT boats were really invented, and we'll talk about, like I said, were invented to, to help the United States bridge the gap. They, they were there to help sort of engage with larger ships and bridge the gap between what the American Navy needed to do and what they were capable of doing. And so they were designed specifically, these PT boats, these patrol torpedo boats, were designed to be fast, to work at night, to ambush big, large frigates and destroyers and cruisers and battleships, and probably not aircraft carriers, but these large ships that you're sure you've heard of, right? We all know these things. I honestly don't know the difference between like a cruiser and a battleship and a destroyer. Naval history and naval war history is not necessarily my forte, but I do know that these are classifications of ships. They had 12 to 14 men cr man crews, and they would potentially be able to engage larger ships, right? So they would be able, they, that I was talking about, in an ambush situation where they could maybe, like, send off a couple torpedoes and destroy them and, and then drive away, okay? Mm -hmm. Kind of like the, the naval equivalent of a drive-by. And this is designed, these are, these, are, these are being implemented to help sort of bridge the gap as the United States is reaching the, the naval power of the Japanese. And by the way, the Japanese at the time had the most powerful navy in the world besides the British. In order for the Japanese to try to conquer the South Pacific, which is all just a string of islands and giant island chains, they designed and built a massive navy with the biggest 
aircraft carriers and the biggest battle cruisers. They were an impending and imposing force. And so the United States is trying out all sorts of different ways to combat them. And the PT squadrons, these patrol torpedo squadrons, were part of that strategy. I want to mention, too, about the PT yeah. boats. They also, just for people that don't aren't very familiar with weapons or boats or things like that, these also did have high-power ammo, guns, all that kind of stuff on it, too. It's not only a torpedo on them. So, like, right, no. like yeah. JFK and his crew would shoot, and they would shoot back, back and forth, back and forth between the boats as well. So I just wanted to add that that was there. Yeah, they had machine guns. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, oh, for sure. You know, machine guns, hand grenades that you could use. All, I mean, they had all sorts of stuff. Yeah, they had other big... ways of defense is what I mean. Right. So. In fact, and honestly, the torpedoes weren't didn't exist to defend the boat at all. The torpedoes right. were there to attack right. other boats. The other thing you've got to understand, besides what a PT boat was and why PT boat was were important, is you have to understand how the United States attacked or retaliated or begun to, to engage in war with the Japanese in the Pacific theater. And if you hadn't heard of something called island hopping, basically what the uh, the United States plan to defeat the Japanese in the Pacific was we're going to systematically, one by one, take over islands that the Japanese have invaded and conquered and piece by piece take larger portions of their territory and eventually conquer them all back. So it's like, think about it. You take one island. It's really easy to take one island. You focus all of your force on one island. You take it. Then from that island, you move on to other islands and other islands and other islands and so forth and so on, mm -hmm. okay? So the Pacific Theater in the, in the Second World War was very much centered around this idea of, of slowly but surely creeping up on Japanese territory that they had conquered by, just by invading these islands and destroying Japanese you know, uh, encampments and fortresses and bastions and garrisons, all that kind of stuff. And a big part of this was the naval superiority that the United States would need to have in order to do this. The Japanese, of course, at the time, in 1941 and 42, possessed the naval superiority in the Pacific theater. And so the PT boats, again, as I'm saying, are there to sort of aid in this island-hopping idea. They're small, they're fast, they have the potentiality to, just, to take out much larger targets, they don't cost that much money, and they're really good for propaganda because they're fast and they are, you know, sexy. I don't want to say a boat is sexy, but... Like, they are, they're really good for, like, you know, visuals. Yeah. And all of this, all of this, this entire, this sort of, con like, this, this PT program is under the, not the command, but is being promoted by a guy named Lieutenant Commander John Bulkelly. Lieutenant Commander John Bulkelly. And he actually is famous, not just because of this air circumstances of, of, of what I'm about to tell you, but also because during the Japanese invasion of the Philippine Islands in 1942, Commander Bulkelly had actually taken his PT boat and driven it up to the shore to rescue General Douglas MacArthur as he and his family was escaping the Japanese army. And he, I don't know whether he earned his Medal of Honor for that or not, but either way, like, it was a, this incredibly harrowing, like, daring thing where he drove through enemy fire and, like, picked up the... And General MacArthur, by the way, was the commander of American forces in the, in the Pacific Theater and would eventually run for president. I mean, a big, this is a big deal mm -hmm. whenever he rescued him. So this guy is not a slouch. I mean, he's a pretty impressive kind of guy. And he, he does this thing, and again, I don't know whether he gets the Medal of Honor for this or not, but he ends up back in the United States raising money or what at the time would be called war bonds. We know about war bonds, you yeah. know, buy bonds. Yeah. He, in 1942, uh, at the Plaza Hotel in New York, and you would never believe who was at the Plaza Hotel in, the, in New York in this month in 1942. Any ideas? Is it Joe Sr.? It was Joseph, Joseph Kennedy. <laughs> How did I guess? <laughs> it was. 
And he happens upon Joseph Kennedy at the Plaza Hotel. And Joe is like, I want, I want John to be in the PT Corps. Mm-hmm. Now, John, uh, JFK, right? He, and he starts to talk about to this guy about getting JFK assigned to the PT, like, squadrons. And here's the thing. Old Joe, we know, is always conniving. Mm-hmm. Was always conniving, was always thinking about ways to, you know, whatever. And what does he do? He wants, because he knows it looks good. He knows it's great for the propaganda, for the press reels. You know, boat commander, you know, PT boat, zooming around, action hero kind of imagery, right? The king of branding for his son. He wants JFK there. But there's been some problems. For instance, JFK almost didn't get into the Navy. Right. We know this, right? We know he was in poor health. We know he had a bad back. We know he had, like, I mean, a terrible back. We know he was riddled with all sorts of, you know, sicknesses and illnesses and things like that. Right. He technically didn't get into the Navy. They were... No. Joe Sr. got him in. Joe Sr. convinced that, I don't, it was like the Secretary of the Navy or somebody that he knew to allow a private doctor in Boston to give JFK a physical to to say, like, he's good to go. Yeah. I want to mention, if you want to learn more about JFK's health and this whole process, I actually had a previous episode about that. So go back and check that out. And I talk about that. So and so at this chance meeting at the Plaza Hotel in New York City, right? Concrete jungle, wet dream tomato. <laughs> Have you seen that video? No. Just, I literally thought you just made that up. I was like, that's so clever. <laughs> There's <laughs> a video. I didn't make that up. <laughs> I love those videos where they take where they take lyrics and they're like, this is what <laughs> it sounds it like. Oh, that's so and funny. side note. Somebody, because you know I I do look at your reviews from time to time. Oh, you do. And someone had given you a bad review and had said... Oh, about us going off topic? Off topic. And I'm like, I I think it's pretty funny. Because a lot of people like that this isn't stiff, and I don't have it in me to have a stiff history podcast, so I will go off topic as I please. Nobody wants a stiff history podcast anyway. Well, except for the people people that listen to the stiff history podcast. Yeah. If you want stiff history, go over to stiffhistory.com. Know that we will get off topic. Stiffhistory.backslash... Gov. Dot gov. Dot get a life. Oh, gosh. Got no. him. I have a video of Jeffrey in front of the plaza from when we were there, or, which I said just said that's so country. It's plaza. but uh, The plaza? The plaza. But I have a video of Jeffrey doing the, you know, from Hub Alone, too, where he's like, uh, come stay at the New York's finest. Ding, dang, yeah. dog, whatever. And Jeffrey knows the whole thing. He did it. I'll insert an audio clip here. You should, for sure. Yeah. Contestants of the show Ding Dang Dong stay at the Plaza Hotel, New York's finest hotel experience. So chance meeting of this, and uh, and that's how we get to the interlude. Interlude. But we got to give a little bit more context about where JFK is at this moment, right? Mm-hmm. So JFK almost didn't get to the Navy, and Allison has talked about this in a past podcast. He starts off his naval career as a desk jockey, a, a basically like a, a, a errand boy, and he does like he takes notes. He's almost like a secretary for the Office of Naval Intelligence. But in classic JFK style, and in, in classic JFK fashion, gets reassigned in 1942 to South Carolina because he is having an affair with a Danish journalist named Inga Arva. Yes, she's very interesting. Inga. I want to have a whole episode on Inga. Just on Inga? Yeah, she's interesting. Their whole You'll have to do that without me. Interesting. I don't know nothing about no Danish journalists. No offense to you if you're a Danish journalist <laughs> yeah, out there. Yeah, I was about to say. Jeez. I know you have a giant audience of Danish journalists. <laughs> I may. DM me if you're a Danish journalist, please. DM, DM her. More and, specifically and, and if your name's at, Inga. 
If your name is Inga, also, in, in DM her and name me. So it has to be as reassigned to South Carolina, but because of this fateful meeting at the Plaza Hotel, JFK is able to get into the PT boat training facility. And I'm going to suggest that we curtail part one right here. Okay, sounds good. All right, then we will continue on with part two next week. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Kennedy Dynasty. Make sure to check the show notes for my Amazon recommendation shop, for my merch shop, for YouTube, if you prefer to listen there. And we will continue with part two next week. Which proves... It's hard to get the best of a man named John. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, keep America strong. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Kennedy, he just keeps rolling up. Around 10,000 BCE, families and tribes of the ancestors to the people of Britain would arrive in the southern part of the island after crossing from land that bridged from Europe. The Welsh built houses, communities, kingdoms, and continued to survive through Romans, Saxons, Danes, and Normans. The language and culture influenced by these sources continued to change and thrive, becoming ancient and modern at the same time. Join me as we travel through the history, meeting the kings, queens, nobles, and everyday people that create and grew modern Wales from the seeds of the ancient past. Creoso, and welcome to the Welsh History Podcast.